Section twenty of A Far Country by Winston Churchill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book three, chapter eighteen, part one. As the name of our city grew to be more and more a byword for sudden and fabulous wealth, not only were the Huns and the Slavs, the Czechs and the Greeks drawn to us but it became the fashion for distinguished englishmen and frenchmen and sometimes germans and italians to pay us a visit when they made the grand tour of america they had been told that they must not miss us scarcely a week went by in our community so it was said in which a full-fledged millionaire was not turned out our visitors did not always remain a week since their rapid journeyings from the atlantic to the pacific from canada to the gulf rarely occupied more than four but in the books embodying their mature comments on the manners customs and crudities of american civilizations no less than a chapter was usually devoted to us and most of the adjectives in their various languages were exhausted in the attempt to prove how symptomatic we were of the ambitions and ideals of the republic the fact that many of these gentlemen literary and otherwise returned to their own shores better fed and with larger balances in the banks than when they departed is neither here nor there egyptians are proverbially created to be spoiled the wiser and more fortunate of these travellers and students of life brought letters to mr and mrs hambleton durrett that household was symptomatic if they liked of the new order of things and it was rare indeed when both members of it were at home to entertain them if mr durrett were in the city and they did not happen to be britons with sporting proclivities they simply were not entertained when mrs durrett received them dinners were given in their honour on the durrett gold plate and they spent cosy and delightful hours conversing with her in the little salon overlooking the garden to return to their hotels and jot down paragraphs on the superiority of the american women over the men these particular foreigners did not lay eyes on mr durrett who was in florida or in the east playing polo or engaged in some other pursuit one result of the lavishness and luxury that amazed them they wrote had been to raise the standard of culture of the women who were our leisure class but the travellers did not remain long enough to arrive at any conclusions of value on the effect of luxury and lavishness on the sacred institution of marriage if mr nathaniel durrett could have returned to his native city after fifteen years or so in the grave not the least of the phenomena to startle him would have been that which was taking place in his own house for he would have beheld serenely established in that former abode of calvinism one of the most reprehensible of exotic abominations a mariage de convenance nor could he have failed to observe moreover the complacency with which the descendants of his friends the pew-holders in dr pound's church regarded the matter and not only these but the city at large the stronghold of scotch presbyterianism had become a london or a paris 
a gamora mrs hambleton durrett went her way and mr durrett his the less said about mr durrett's way even in this suddenly advanced age the better as for nancy she seemed to the distant eye to be walking through life in a stately and triumphant manner i read in the newspapers of her doings her comings and goings sometimes she was away for months together often abroad and when she was at home i saw her but infrequently under conditions more or less formal not that she was formal or i our intercourse seemed eloquent of an intimacy in a tantalizing state of suspense would that intimacy ever be renewed this was a question on which i sometimes speculated the situation that had suspended or put an end to it as the case might be was never referred to by either of us one afternoon in the late winter of the year following that in which we had given a dinner to the sharers where the durrets had rather marvellously appeared together i left my office about three o'clock a most unusual occurrence i was restless unable to fix my mind on my work filled with unsatisfied yearnings the object of which i sought to keep vague and yet i directed my steps westward along boyne street until i came to the art museum where a loan exhibition was being held i entered bought a catalogue and presently found myself standing before number one hundred three designated as a portrait of mrs hambleton durrett painted in paris the autumn before by a polish artist then much in vogue stanislaus czeski nancy was it nancy was standing facing me tall superb in the maturity of her beauty with one hand resting on an antique table a smile upon her lips a gentle mockery in her eyes as though laughing at the world she adorned with the smile and the mockery somehow significant too of an achieved unaccessibility went the sheen of her clinging gown and the glint of the heavy pearls drooping from her high throat to her waist these caught the eye but failed at length to hold it for even as i looked the smile faded the mockery turned to wistfulness so i thought and looked again to see the wistfulness the smile had gone the pearls seemed heavier was it a trick of the artist had he seen what i saw or thought i saw or was it that imagination which by now i might have learned to suspect and distrust wild longings took possession of me for the portrait had seemed to emphasize at once how distant now she was from me and yet how near i wanted to put that nearness to the test had she really changed did any one really change and had i not been a fool to accept the presentment she had given me i remembered those moments when our glances had met as across barriers and flashes of understanding after all the barriers were mere relics of the superstition of the past what if i went to her now i felt that i needed her as i never had needed any one in all my life i was aroused by the sound of lowered voices beside me that's mrs hambleton durrett i heard a woman say isn't she beautiful the note of envy struck me sharply horribly 
without waiting to listen to the comment of her companion i hurried out of the building into the cold white sunlight that threw into bold relief the mediocre houses of the street here was everyday life but the portrait had suggested that which might have been might be yet what did i mean by this i didn't know i didn't care to define it a renewal of her friendship of our intimacy my being cried out for it and in the world in which i lived we took what we wanted why not this and yet for an instant i stood on the sidewalk to discover that in new situations i was still subject to unaccountable qualms of that thing i had been taught to call conscience whether it were conscience or not must be left to the psychologist i was married terrible word the shadow of that institution fell athwart me as the sun went under a cloud but the sun came out again as i found myself walking toward the durrett house reflecting that numbers of married men called on nancy and that what i had in mind in regard to her was nothing that the court would have pronounced an infringement upon the institution i reached her steps the long steps still guarded by the curved wrought-iron railings reminiscent of nathaniel's day though the portals were gone a modern vestibule having replaced them i rang the bell the butler flung open the doors he at any rate did not seem surprised to see me here he greeted me with respectful cordiality and led me as a favoured guest through the big drawing-room into the salon mr parrot madam nancy rose quickly from the low chair where she sat cutting the pages of a french novel hugh she exclaimed i'm out if anyone calls bring tea she added to the man who retired for a moment we stood gazing at each other questioningly well won't you sit down and stay a while she asked i took a chair on the opposite side of the fire i just thought i'd drop in i said i'm flattered said nancy that a person so affair should find time to call on an old friend why i thought you never left your office until seven o'clock i don't as a rule but to-day i wasn't particularly busy and i thought i'd go round to the art museum and look at your portrait more flattery hugh you're getting quite human what do you think of it i like it i think it quite remarkable have a cigarette i took one so you really like it she said don't you oh i think it's a trifle romantic she replied but that's chesky he made me quite cross the feminine presentation of america the spoiled woman who has shed responsibilities and is beginning to have a glimpse just a little one of the emptiness of it all i was stirred then why do you accept it if it isn't you i demanded one doesn't refuse chesky's canvases she replied and what difference does it make it amused him and he was fairly subtle about it only those who are looking for romance like you are able to guess what he meant and they would think they saw it anyway even if he had painted me extinct extinct i repeated she laughed hugh you're a silly old goose that's why i came here i think to be told so 
i said tea was brought in a sense of at-homeness stole over me i was more at home here in this room with nancy than in any other place in the world here where everything was at once soothing yet stimulating expressive of her even the smaller objects that caught my eye the crystal inkstand tipped with gold the racks for the table books her paper cutter nancy's was a discriminating luxury and her talk the lightness with which she touched life the unexplored depths of her guessed at but never fathomed did she feel a little the need of me as i felt the need of her why i believe you're incurably romantic hugh she said laughingly when the man had left the room here you are what they call a paragon of success a future senator ambassador to england i hear of those remarkable things you have done even in new york the other day a man was asking me if i knew mr parrot and spoke of you as one of the coming men i suppose you will be moving there soon a practical success it always surprises me when i think of it i find it difficult to remember what a dreamer you were and here you turn out to be still a dreamer have you discovered too the emptiness of it all she inquired provokingly i must say you don't look it she gave me a critical quizzical glance you look quite prosperous and contented as though you enjoyed your power i laughed uneasily and then she continued and then one day when your luncheon has disagreed with you you walk into a gallery and see a portrait of of an old friend for whom in youth when you were a dreamer you professed a sentimental attachment and you exclaim that the artist is a discerning man who has discovered the secret that she has guarded so closely she's sorry that she ever tried to console herself with baubles it's what you've suspected all along but you'll just run around to see for yourself to be sure of it and she handed me my tea come now confess where are your wits i hear you don't lack them in court well i said if that amuses you it does amuse me said nancy twining her fingers across her knee and regarding me smilingly with parted lips it amuses me a lot it's so characteristic but it's not true it's unjust i protested vigorously smiling too because the attack was so characteristic of her what then she demanded well in the first place my luncheon didn't disagree with me it never does she laughed but the sentiment come now the sentiment do you perceive any hint of emptiness despair our chairs were very close and she leaned forward a little emptiness or no emptiness i said a little tremulously i know that i haven't been so contented so happy for a long time she sat very still but turned her gaze on the fire you really wouldn't want to find that hugh she said in another voice at which i exclaimed no i'm not being sentimental but to be serious i really shouldn't care to think that of you i'd like to think of you as a friend 
a good friend although we don't see very much of one another but that's why i came nancy i explained it wasn't just an impulse that is i've been thinking of you a great deal all along i miss you i miss the way you look at things your point of view i can't see any reason why we shouldn't see something of each other now she continued to stare into the fire no she said at length i suppose there isn't any reason her mind seemed suddenly to change as she bent over and extinguished the flame under the kettle after all she added gaily we live in a tolerant age we've reached the years of discretion and we're both too conventional to do anything silly even if we wanted to which we don't we're neither of us likely to quarrel with the world as it is i think and we might as well make fun of it together we'll begin with our friends what do you think of mr scherer's palace i hear you're building it for him i told him to get air said nancy laughingly i was afraid he'd repeat the gallatin park monstrosity on a larger scale and air's the only man in this country who understands the french it's been rather amusing she went on i've had to fight hilda and she's no mean antagonist how she hates me she wanted a monstrosity of course a modernized german rock grotto sort of an affair i can imagine she's been so funny when i've met her at dinner i understand you take a great interest in the house mrs durrett can't you hear her well you did get ahead of her i said i had to i couldn't let our first citizen build a modern rhine castle could i i have some public spirit left and besides i expect to build on grant avenue myself and leave here oh it's too grubby it's in the slums said nancy but i really owe you a debt of gratitude hugh for the sharers i'm told adolph's lost his head over you it's not only over me but over everything he's so ridiculously proud of being on the board of the children's hospital you ought to hear him talking to old mrs ogilvy who of course can't get used to him at all she always has the air of inquiring what he's doing in that galley she still thinks of him as mr durrett's foreman the time flew her presence was like a bracing tingling atmosphere in which i felt revived and exhilarated self-restored for nancy did not question she took me as i was we looked out on the world as it were from the same window and i could not help thinking that ours after all was a large view the topics didn't matter our conversation was fragrant with intimacy and we were so close to each other it seemed incredible that we ever should be parted again at last the little clock on the mantel claimed an hour she started and looked up why it's seven hugh she exclaimed rising i'd no idea it was so late and i'm dining with the dickinsons i've only just time to dress it's been like a reunion hasn't it a reunion after many years i said i held her hand unconsciously she seemed to be drawing me to her i thought she swayed and a sudden dizziness seized me then she drew away abruptly with a little cry i couldn't be sure about the cry 
whether i heard it or not a note was struck in the very depths of me come in again she said whenever you're not too busy and a minute later i found myself on the street this was the beginning of a new intimacy with nancy resembling the old intimacy yet differing from it the emotional note of our parting on the occasion i have just related was not again struck and when i went eagerly to see her again a few days later i was conscious of limitations not too conscious the freedom she offered and which i gladly accepted was a large freedom nor am i quite sure that even i would have wished it larger though there were naturally moments when i thought so when i asked myself what i did wish i found no answer though i sometimes chafed it would have been absurd of me to object to a certain timidity or caution i began to perceive in her that had been absent in the old nancy but the old nancy had ceased to exist and here instead was a highly developed highly specialized creature in whom i delighted and after taking thought i would not have robbed her of one acquired attribute as she had truly observed we were both conventional conventionality was part of the price we had willingly paid for membership in that rarer world we had both achieved it was a world to be sure in which we were rapidly learning to take the law into our own hands without seeming to defy it in order that the fear of it might remain in those less fortunately placed and endowed we had begun with the appropriation of the material property of our fellow-citizens which we took legally from this point it was of course merely a logical step to take legally too other gentlemen's human property their wives in short the more progressive east had set us our example but as yet we had been cherry to follow it about this time rebellious voices were beginning to make themselves heard in the literary wilderness proclaiming liberty liberty of the sexes there were russian novels and french novels and pioneer english novels preaching liberty with nietzschean stridency or taking it for granted i picked these up on nancy's table reading them she said in answer to my query of course i'm reading them i want to know what these clever people are thinking even if i don't always agree with them and you ought to read them too it's quite true what foreigners say about our men that they live in a groove that they haven't any range in conversation i'm quite willing to be educated i replied i haven't a doubt that i need it she was leaning back in her chair, her hands behind her head, a posture she often assumed. She looked up at me amusedly. "'I'll acknowledge that you're more teachable than most of them,' she said. "'Do you know, Hugh, sometimes you puzzle me greatly. When you are here and we're talking together, I can never think of you as you are out in the world fighting for power and getting it. I suppose it's part of your charm, that there is that side of you.' but i never consciously realize it you're what they call a dual personality that's a pretty hard name i exclaimed she laughed i can't help it you are oh not disagreeably so quite normally that's the odd thing about you sometimes i believe that you were made for something different that in spite of your success you have missed your metier 
what ought i to have been how can i tell a goethe perhaps a goethe smothered by a twentieth-century environment your love of adventure isn't dead it's been merely misdirected real adventure i mean forthfaring straying into unknown paths perhaps you haven't yet found yourself how uncanny i said stirred and startled you have a taste for literature you know though you've buried it give me turgenev we'll begin with him her reading and the talks that followed it were exciting amazingly stimulating once nancy gave me an amusing account of a debate which had taken place in the newly organized woman's discussion club to which she belonged over a rather daring book by an english novelist mrs dickinson had revolted no she wasn't really shocked not in the way she thought she was said nancy in answer to a query of mine how was she shocked then as you and i are shocked but i'm not shocked i protested oh yes you are and so am i not on the moral side nor is it the moral aspect that troubles lula dickinson she thinks it's the moral aspect but it's really the revolutionary aspect the menace to those precious institutions from which we derive our privileges and comforts i considered this and laughed what's the use of being a humbug about it said nancy but you're talking like a revolutionary i said i may be talking like one but i'm not one i once had the makings of one of a good one a proper one as the english would say she sighed you regret it i asked curiously of course i regret it she cried what woman worth her salt doesn't regret it doesn't want to live even if she has to suffer for it and to those people the revolutionaries i mean the rebels they live they're the only ones who do live the rest of us degenerate in a painless paralysis we think of as pleasure look at me i'm incapable of committing a single original act even though i might conceive one well there was a time when i should have been equal to anything and wouldn't have cared a, a damn i believed her end of section twenty